I'm back home. Might as well do another. Why not? Why not? Why, why not? New best time. The reason I'm doing this is to brag, do a little bragging about my new best time doing online crossword puzzles. You know, I mentioned just earlier tonight on my walk, I mentioned that I had set two new best times in the last few days. 7.58, I completed the entire crossword in 7 minutes 58 seconds. Then a day or two later, I beat that best time and got 7.51. Well, there's a new best time, 7.32. That sounds sweet, just to say that. My new best time is 7.32. But what's funny about that is every single time I set a new best time, I think, there's no way I can beat that. There's no way I can beat 7.32. 7 minutes, 32 seconds. Smooth. It was just smooth sailing. I'm not going to stop myself, though. My new goal is to get under seven minutes, and it's possible. But to do that, based on what I've learned about doing online crossword puzzles, in order to now get under seven minutes, it's going to have to be psychic. Like, I'm going to have to be able to get each one the second my eyes see it. But the thing is, you learn techniques. That's the thing. That's how you get better. And you might not even know you're learning new techniques, but sometimes you do. <laughs> sometimes you do. Where, you know, I was talking about how even, even just the cashier at the grocery store, the reason why they can ring you up so much faster than you can do yourself at the self-checkout is because they know the techniques and they know the rhythm. You know, a good example of that is what I've learned from the self-checkout is that you have to give it, like when you ring an item up, you have to give it a second before you ring the next item up. And you can't get into a rhythm with it though. Like, like as, as somebody who doesn't do that all the time, I never learn the right rhythm. So it's like, I'll scan one of my yogurts and then I try to scan the next one too quickly, but I don't establish that kind of rhythm. Like I'm always having to like pause and be like, Oh, it's not reading it. Eh. You know? So it's like, I don't develop that, but when you do something enough, you do learn the mechanics of it. You do learn the rhythm of it. And with these online crossword puzzles, uh, what I've learned is you want to complete as many of the long ones as early as possible. You don't want to jump around, but it's like if you have the option of trying to complete a really long phrase or word versus a short one, you go for the long one. And if it's one where you know the answers to the long ones, well, it's smooth sailing because you now have a lot more letters on the board. So I'm becoming a pro at this. I mean, pretty soon, I mean, based on how things are going, pretty soon I'm going to be doing an episode where I say, hey, new personal record. It's what uh, weightlifters, they call that what, like a PR, a personal record. I'm going to have a new personal record one of these days. I'm going to get on here and I'm going to say one second. Did it in one second. I did it in 59 seconds. Pretty soon my new goal is going is gonna to be to complete the whole thing in less than a minute. It's just going to be pure psychic symbiosis, me and the online crossword puzzle. This one that I just completed, though, in 7 minutes 32 seconds, it's a good example of what I was talking about, though, where there's a very distinct leftist slant to it which a million people in the world would call me crazy. 50 million people would tell me I'm insane. They'd be like, you're a right-wing maniac. You're a maniac. 
But I mean, just as an example, like just one thing that I've noticed is that it'll often like the, it'll often use uh, hints and answers. Like it'll say famous CEO. And I know it's going to be a woman every time. This has come up many times now. I've done a number of these. It'll mention like a politician or somebody in an important or influential position. And I know right away, because I don't know who any of these people are. You think I know who, like beyond like the most famous of the famous, like Jeff Bezos? You think I know who any CEOs are? I don't. But it's it's inevitably going to be a woman. And that's such a, it's a statement they're making. And that's okay. But I know what they're doing. I know that the people who write these are like, oh, the answer is going to be a famous CEO, but they use some female CEO. I just know they're going to do that and they do it. And so that's, that's just a little example. But in this one, they didn't have any female CEOs, but just a little example at the sort of thing, just they're very small. It's usually very, they're very little, they're things that do make me sound crazy to point them out on their own, but they're indicative of a larger pattern with these. And I see them day after day. This is a good example. The hint is Mr., Mrs., or MX, period. Mr., Mrs., or MX, period. And that's an, I'm aware of that. I've seen that before where with this whole gender bender craze, teachers are going by MX, period. And I don't know how to pronounce that. It's a new variation of the Latinx thing. I mean, all of this, the first place we ever saw this was like women. Where when I was growing up, it was already a joke. Like I never even remember seeing anybody do this in earnest. But when I was growing up, it was kind of a joke that feminists spelled women with a Y. W-O-M-Y-N. And the joke was... I mean, I guess it was probably based on something real, but the idea was that, oh, that women don't want to spell women with the word men in it because of the whole myth, which is incorrect, the etymological myth that the word women is rooted in the word man and somehow subordinates women to men, which turns out to not be true. It turns out the etymology doesn't come from men. But uh, people got that idea and they decided they didn't want to spell women with the word men in it. So they put a Y in there. That was the first version I remember seeing of that. But I only ever remember seeing that be parodied. Like in the 90s is when I first started seeing that occasionally and not a lot. But it was like if somebody wanted to make fun of feminists, they would spell women with a Y. And so that kind of led to the whole like Latin X thing that you know started as a, a pretty weird I, I remember seeing that before people became aware of it and i thought like this isn't going to take off this is too stupid and weird but guess what we live in stupid and weird times so of course it did take off but the mx thing is obviously the latest incarnation of that where i've seen little videos of of these radical left teachers who are like, I taught my students that, that you refer to me as mix. I think they probably say mix. That's the crazy thing about all these language things, though. You can't even say them. They're esoteric. Like they're spelling things in ways that we can't even pronounce. Mix. 
MX period. Oh, it would ruin my life to call me Mr. or Mrs. or Miss. So I'm going to go by mix. It's very narcissistic. It's very much like give me extra time and consideration when you talk to me. W really worry when you talk to me. That's what this has created. This whole emphasis on changing language or else you, if you don't do it, you're the worst person in the world. Not only do you not want to misgender somebody, but now you got to worry about their title. Now you got to worry about your title. Now every time you interact with that person or someone you've never interacted with, you have to worry that they go by MX, Mix. Her name is uh, Jenny Smith. We call her Mix Smith. Mix. I can't, you can't even say it. There's no flow. It's just this disjointed combination of letters. But uh, anyway, that, that's just a good example, though, where it's like to even include that Mr., Mrs., or Mix. That's on my crossword puzzle. And what was, what was the answer even? Let me, I'm reviewing, oh, title. The hint was Mr., Mrs., or Mix. And the answer was title. But the fact that they even included Mix, like that's what I'm getting at with these crossword puzzles. And I'm not going to stop using them. I'm not going to protest it. I'm just very aware of it. And doing these every single night, I see how often they do it. Another example is like one of the one of the, the hints was blank, like an underscore blank blocker. And then in parentheses, it says option for trans youth. Well, I know that's a reference to puberty blocker. And that was the answer, puberty. Option for trans youth. I only ever hear people talk about puberty blockers in a negative sense because that's a that's a big talking point generally on the right wing is like don't give kids puberty blockers or you're going to fuck them up. And uh, so, of course, but this was included in, in a positive sense, like it's an option for trans youth, puberty blocker. But just that, that would even be included. What, the, what that tells you, the fact that this crossword puzzle included mx period as a title for a person and then another another answer was puberty blocker as an option for trans youth as it says that tells me this is really on this person's mind and they can't because as i've said before these online crossword puzzles they're user submitted but dictionary.com has to approve them of course it's not user submitted where people just throw them up and there's no moderation dictionary.com approves these they probably get 10,000 submissions a day. But this person is obviously preoccupied with these things. And then another one that was on here was some sort of black slang, you know, which I can't keep up with and I don't even, I wouldn't even want to. Um, but, oh, it was lie in black vernacular. And black is capitalized, so you know they're referring to black people. So this this person is obviously very preoccupied with stuff. And that, that thing just kind of came and then people went with it, the capitalizing black thing. That was something that came about around summer 2020. I'm sure people have been pushing for it before then. And as much as I was familiar with some of these things before they became mainstream, because I'm cool like that, it turns out most of the things I know about before they become mainstream are actually things I hate. It's not that I know about cool things that I like before they become mainstream. I'm somehow really good at seeing things I hate before they become mainstream. So it's not that I, I liked it before it was cool. I hated it before it was cool.
Um, but I, I don't remember seeing the the capitalizing black thing. But somebody introduced that. Somebody snuck that one under the rug around summer 2020. And then every mainstream newspaper, you know, every academic institution immediately picked it up. And now it's like, I'm just waiting for that time that I have to write the word black in reference to black people. And someone says, oh, why isn't it capitalized? You know, someone's been in that situation. And what's crazy is you wouldn't understand it. Like, that's the wild thing about this is I'm familiar enough with this stuff. Despite that super lefty girl who had a party, like, was like, oh, you just don't know better. It's like, no, I do. I know, I know more about this than you do somehow. And I don't even try. It's just all around. I notice it. But you know somebody's been in that situation where they're writing something for the company they work for. And somebody says, oh, you didn't capitalize black. And they're like, uh, what? And it's like, you didn't. Oh, oh I, I bet you voted for Trump's felt. You know, you know somebody's been in that situation where they've been judged for not knowing that. But it's not intuitive. And it'd be one thing on its own. The capitalizing black thing would be one thing on its own. But what makes it insane is it was, it's emphasized that you capitalize black, but you don't capitalize white. And I've seen, I, I remember when that was introduced, I wanted to know, I always want to know the rationale. You know, if I don't under, if I don't like something, I always think, well, maybe there's a rationale. I at least want to know the rationale. I at least want to see the strongest argument about this. I didn't find any rationale. It was something about how like black represents a very specific culture in the same way that like Asian or some, uh, some other ethnic noun or ethnic adjective would be capitalized. I, I saw it explained that way, but I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how white was the same, but it plays into the idea that like white has no culture. Like, even though you will be put into that category, and even though people talk, like these same people talk about being white, you know, the same way they talk about being black, it's very clear what's going on when they institute a new rule that's immediately adopted by corporations, institutions, media publications, where everybody just goes, oh yeah, okay, that makes total sense to capitalize black but not white. Even though we're using those in the exact same way, it makes total sense to do that. It's very clear what's going on with that. And again, you know, this isn't black people asking for this. Black people weren't out there campaigning. The average black person couldn't give a shit if you capitalize black. And yes, I will speak for them on this. I can guarantee you the average black person, no matter how good or bad their life is, and no matter what they think the source of their problems in our society is, I guarantee you they weren't worried about whether black is capitalized or not. This is white liberals who are my enemy. You know, I didn't used to think that way, but we are in times where it's the Bhagavad Gita. You know, choose a side or a side will be chosen for you and it might not be the one you would have preferred to have chosen. 2020 was the cutoff point for that. You are on a side. You're either on one that was chosen for you, or you have chosen the side. I have no problem saying that white liberals are my freaking enemy. It's not these minority groups they claim to represent. It's white liberals. 
White liberals are the ones doing all this stuff. Capital white, lowercase white, I don't care. Capital L, liberal for loser, for loser. No, it's, it's, those are the people who are doing this. This isn't coming from representatives of these minority groups. You know, even if they have people from within these groups signing off on it, even if they came up with it, the reason why this is taking place is because of educated white liberals. And, uh, you know, that's just, that's just the, the truth. Like when someone, when you get mad at this stuff, when this stuff rubs you the wrong way, you don't feel, at least if you're me, you don't feel animosity toward the people this is claiming to represent. You feel animosity for the, you, you feel animosity for these, what do you even call them? I mean, we really need a new term for them. Because white liberal doesn't really cut it. And I don't hate white liberals down the board. I don't even hate people who might kind of go along with this. It's the people who have forced this. It's very heavy-handed. It's very forced. And when you force things, they break. There's no fluid motion. It's forced. It's jammed in. And, they don't, and when they jam this stuff in, they don't care if it cracks, breaks, shatters. They just want to force it. But yeah, these dictionary.com crossword puzzles, this is just a little taste. And the fact that like three of the hints, and there's not a ton of hints. It's not like this is the big, the world's biggest crossword puzzle. But the fact that three of the hints show a very obvious ideological perspective. And one that wasn't apparent even two years ago. I would bet you if I was doing these crossword puzzles two years ago, I wouldn't see any of this. I know that I wouldn't see capital B black. I know that I wouldn't see MX as a legitimate title like Mr. or Mrs. I wouldn't see that. This is new. And people like this are obsessed with it. I might sound obsessed with it with the amount that I talk about it. I'm simply reflecting these, these people's obsession because you run into it everywhere. And like what I was saying about black people weren't campaigning for the word black to be capitalized and the word white to be undercase. Just like black people weren't campaigning for Lord of the Rings to have black characters. We know who's creating this. We know who is producing this stuff. It's not coming from the average black person. But they want to frame it that way. That's one of their weapons. That's one of their tools. They frame it as, oh, if you have a problem with this, you have a problem with the group that we're claiming to represent. But no, I have a problem with you. You know, you're the one with a stack of dimes that you call a neck that deserves to be, I'm not going to say what, what should happen to that neck. But uh, those are the people that we have a problem with. And the, the problems are always going to be within. 
Like, of course, what's going on is actually what's actually going on is factional warfare among white people. That's what's been playing out. It's factional warfare within affluent white populations. That's my academic paper. Factional warfare within white populations. That's what it is, though. It's white people inflicting, trying to inflict pain on other white people all around. That's what's going on all around. But you do these these crossword puzzles and it's like you just see where like the person who was who created this crossword puzzle and submitted it was of a certain ideological bent. Otherwise, they wouldn't have three things that clearly refer to brand new ideas like this that come from one place, one way of seeing the world. You wouldn't have seen this two years ago. You wouldn't have seen puberty blockers as the answer to a, a question. But this is how they normalize it. You start seeing this everywhere. This is how you normalize an idea. These people see themselves as activists and they feel that it's their duty to do this. This sounds silly, but this is a perfect example that even doing the dictionary.com puzzle, something that's simply pulling from everything, like literally think about that. If you're making a crossword puzzle, you can use any word you want to create it. You can use any word you want. Any word that is considered part of the English language, you can use in the creation of a crossword puzzle. And then you can use any hint you want to do that. Like, think about the answer to that. Title. Mr., Mrs., or Mix. They, they could have used any hint they wanted for title. They could say it might be a king or it might be a president. And you go, oh, it's a title. Be like, it, it could list, and this would be a good example of some of the ones they do have sometimes, which would be like, you know, the, the, the phrase Planet of the Apes or All the King's Men. And you go, oh, title. But no, they specifically gave a hint for the word title that corresponds to gender bender, Mr. Mrs. Mix. So it's done very deliberately and they work it in. And if you do enough of these, you just accept it as normal. And it might even start to feel normal because you see it so much. But what gets me is how quickly this is adopted. And how quickly not doing that, how quickly not capitalizing black becomes a problem. Hey, I, I, I couldn't help but notice that you were talking about black people, but you didn't capitalize black. Haven't you seen the, uh, what's it called? Like the, what's that, what's that called? Like the, the guidelines for writing. They have those different guidelines. Like capital, if you're writing for a, if you're, if you're writing a, a, uh, a newspaper article, follow these rules. It's like a rubric or something. I don't know what that's called. But, uh, I don't know. See, that's the thing is when I try to think of a word, I distract myself. But anyway, it's just it's just funny because it's just you cannot escape it. There is no escape. They won't allow an escape. They're not allowing you any escape. Dictionary.com crossword puzzles, certainly no mistake. And this is regular. It's actually very rare. And what's funny though is 
when you do see these sorts of references, you'll see, like tonight, seeing three of them in one crossword puzzle. They're usually together because chances are this is somebody who is spending so much time obsessing over these things. The person who submitted this crossword puzzle spends so much time obsessing over the latest gender bender language. They spend a lot of time obsessing about black people, puberty blockers, trans youth. They spend so much time focused on these specific issues that they're told to focus on. There's no personal investigation. There's no personal investment. They might spend all their time doing that, but it's not a personal investment. It's not something that they themselves are thinking about. They're just doing it. And they know that's what they're supposed to do. Their social life depends on it. And they surround themselves with nothing but that. That's a big part of it. They're so consumed by this specific stuff that they don't even know another reality anymore. On one hand, they think they're activists and they need to insert this stuff wherever and whenever they can, which they do. But it becomes natural to them because they do it so much and they think about it so much. So I just wanted to give that little example while bragging about my new record time, which is 7 minutes 32 seconds. It's going to be my new name, Eric732. I don't want to give myself that nickname, though, Eric732, because I think I can do better. I think I, I can beat that. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but... I've beaten my record three times in the last few days. That's crazy. Three times. Watch. The next one I do, it's going to take me like an hour. Maybe you can get too old. I get, You can. I mean, you can get too old for crossword puzzles. Your brain doesn't work anymore. You forget things. But anyway, I'm going to shift gears completely here. But it does kind of... It will kind of play into what I'm talking about a little bit. But, you know, I've had just... Severe insomnia, and it's it's an insomnia where you you don't even try to sleep. Like what's weird is this has been happening for a while, and I, this has happened before, but never this consistently. Where like just about every single night, I don't feel tired, and I don't get into bed until I'm ready to sleep. Like yeah, I might read, I might cruise the computer in bed. I, I try not to do that though. I don't do that as a habit. But I don't get into bed unless I'm planning on immediately winding down or I'm planning to go immediately to sleep. I don't like to hang out in bed. Girls like to hang out in bed. It's a big difference between... It's, it's been a big problem, actually, for dating and stuff because not even a sexual thing. Because somebody might say, oh, you don't like to be in bed with your girl? Oh, wait, you, you gay? That's where you have sex, dude. No, it's, it's not even, you know, because that's, that's not what happens when you hang out in bed with a girl. When a girl wants to just like hang out in bed, she's, she doesn't want to have sex. It's actually completely devoid of sexuality. I'm just not that kind of person, you know, but women, they like to hang out in bed. Like they'll wake up on a Saturday and it's one thing to sleep in and lounge. Like that's nice. Sometimes it's nice to hang out in bed and just be like, oh yeah, you know, we got nothing to do. We got nothing to do, so let's just hang out in bed. But my mentality is like, got nothing to do. I could do a lot of things outside of bed. 
I could hang out outside of the bed. But women, uh, women uh, like to hang out in bed. They, it's like ma- it's magnetic. They they like to hang out during the day, and that's crazy. Hanging out in bed during the day, that's crazy to me. It's totally unnatural. But for me, like like I've reached this point with my insomnia, <laughs> where uh, it's not insomnia in the sense that like I lay there and I can't sleep. Although that's what I fear will happen because that does happen to me, or, or I just lay there and I don't sleep. That's the story of my life. Like every sleepover I went to as a kid, every kid would fall asleep before me. I would hear them talking in their sleep. I would hear them snoring, and they would fall asleep right away. And I would just lay there and maybe catch a couple winks when morning hit. And time goes by really quickly. It's, it's something in meditation. Like when you're in a deep state of meditation, time goes by in the blink of an eye. Same thing when you're laying in bed fully awake. Time goes by really quickly. Especially when you really need to sleep. When you have to do something the next day and you really can't afford to be exhausted. It's interesting that time seems to go by even faster then. But lately, like, what I've been doing, and this is really bad, is, like, I will stay up so late and so long that I'm actually falling asleep sitting up. Like, I'm looking at stuff on my computer or doing something, and I'm actually nodding off, which is a sign that, hey, you're actually tired enough to sleep. Your body's forcing you to sleep. But then I I, I keep myself up. And I keep nodding off. And then sometimes I'll nod off for a few hours. And then I get, then I wake up and I put myself in bed if I have time. But it's weird that like I reach that. I, I've been letting myself get to that point just about every night where I'm physically falling asleep sitting up. But yet I don't commit to sleeping. It's almost like edging or whatever. That's kind of what it is. Like I've heard about that thing guys do. Which any kind of like masturbation trick just freaks me out. Like not just that, not just autoerotic asphyxiation, but like edging or whatever. That was something I've heard about people doing. I've never done it once. I don't. I don't talk about my masturbatory habits on here much. But one thing I can tell you, I've never done is edging, which is apparently like guys will like they'll masturbate to near the point of climax, and then they'll stop, and they get some sort of pleasure out of that. I don't know if it's pleasure. I don't know what it is. I wouldn't want to do that. I don't want to edge. I don't. I, I don't need to edge. Okay. Out of everything that I have a desire to do or don't do, I have zero desire to edge. But that's kind of what I'm doing with sleep. I'm, I'm sleep edging. Where like I reach the point of sleep and then I keep myself up. I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know what the therapist would say. But it's it's this weird crossroad between like real insomnia where. I'm just lit up at night and I don't feel like I can sleep. But then I, I don't do anything. I don't, I, sometimes I'll take melatonin and things like that, but I don't even try. And moving on to the topic I wanted to get into here is last night. Well, well that's the thing too. There's something about the middle of the night. I feel a great sense of peace in the middle of the night, knowing that I'm up and the world's asleep. There's something very peaceful and quiet about that. Like, I'm a firm believer in psychic activity, not necessarily ESP and mind reading, although, you know, I, I have some beliefs about that, but just like 
you think about signals. You know, technology, it gives off these signals. Like everybody, everybody who's in a stadium has a signal coming from their phone. All these people in one place, they all have phones that are emitting a, an electronic signal. Well, that's what people's brains are doing too. People's brains are emitting signals. And when everybody's up in the area you live in, it's like all of their brain activity is happening. Like the world is buzzing. In the middle of the night, that's not happening. In the middle of the night, like that's probably why I have so much mental energy in the middle of the night, because I'm just hoarding it. I'm very greedy about psychic energy. And in the middle of the night, when everybody else is asleep, I'm awake and I have all the psychic energy available to me in the world. And I do this. And I, and I, and I use it to do this. But... Uh, you know, what I'll do, well, that's the thing about it too, is the other thing about insomnia and staying up throughout all hours of the night is things that I would never find interesting. Like I can relax. It's like the only, like during the day, I cannot sit down or relax if I have time to myself. I got to be on my feet and doing something. The middle of the night is the only time that I just sit there on the couch and I do nothing. The problem is I binge eat when I do that. I did that last night. The other problem, though, is that I just, and it's not a problem, it's actually a good thing in many ways, is it's like the only time where I feel comfortable just mindlessly watching things or looking at things, reading about nonsense that I'll, like, like what ends up happening is like, I'll have like 50 tabs open every morning when I first wake up, and then they, I had opened them the night before because I found them all very interesting. They could be Wikipedia articles, YouTube videos. And they seemed so captivating, just stupid shit. They seemed so captivating the night before. And I look at them in the morning and I'm like, I'm never going to look at that. And I close them all. But things, I'm just captivated by certain things in the middle of the night. And last night, don't tell me how I even stumbled on this. I don't read about 9-11. I don't read, yeah, I don't, I don't look up 9-11 stuff. But somehow last night I ended up watching rather listening but watching too this uh on youtube they had somebody had uploaded the howard stern show from 9-11 as 9-11 was playing out and i had never seen that i used to i used to love howard stern i still love those old howard sterns they're still good like if, if there's nothing else to watch or listen to i'll throw on an old howard stern they're great But uh, it was Howard Stern on 9-11, and you see them react to each event as it happens and try to understand it. And, like, you, you see them when they find out the first plane hit, and it's just like, oh, a plane hit the, the Twin Towers, huh? And I, of course, remember waking up. I was a sophomore in high school. It was, like, my first or second week of high school. And I remember, like, waking up, and, you know, it's one of those things where I don't really know what exactly happened like i don't know like my memory is that i woke up not to do a whole 9-11 nostalgia thing but i know that i woke up on 9-11 and and the tv was on and my mom who would drive me to school early on her way to work she was like oh a, a plane hit one of the twin towers and i didn't even know what the fuck the twin towers were to be honest i had heard of the world trade center before 9-11 I didn't know that the World Trade Center was two giant towers in New York. 
I had probably heard about it in passing, but I didn't have really a memory of like the first bombing from the early 90s. I didn't really know. I, I had no idea what the, the World Trade Center even was. I just knew that it was very important, you know, economically and, you know, it had some, you know, I just knew that it was a big deal, but I'd never thought about it, let alone visualized what it actually was. I had never been to New York or anything like that. So my introduction to the fact that the World Trade Center was actually two towers was the fact that I woke up and saw footage of smoke billowing out of them. And my memory is that when I woke up, the second tower hadn't been hit yet. And we were watching the news that morning and actually saw the second plane hit in real time. That's the part I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if that really happened. But I do remember waking up and they were talking about how a plane hit the Twin Towers. They weren't talking about two towers. They weren't talking about two planes. So I do feel like I saw that. Somebody could probably find like what channel I was watching and prove me wrong. But I'm pretty sure I either saw the second plane hit in real time, or I, I, at, least, I at least saw before it hit. If the, this, is, this is so stupid to, to care to be pointing this out, but uh, that's just my memory of it. But then I remember my mom was driving me to school and we were listening to coverage of it on the radio in the car as I believe the first tower fell. It may have been the second tower, but I remember listening in, in real time to the radio in the car as it was describing how one of the towers was, had just fallen. But uh, anyway, like watching Howard Stern process, it was interesting because the moment when they realized it was something more, and they're in New York, and they're being irreverent, of course. Like Howard Stern was telling a story about making out with Pamela Anderson. He was talking about how he was at some event and he made out with Pamela Anderson but didn't have sex with her and everybody was giving him shit about it. And so they were alternating between these Pamela Anderson sex jokes and like talking about how a, how a plane hit the tower. And then when they realized that something more was going on, when it became evident to them that two planes had hit, just interesting to see that play out. And what's weird is how short the, the amount of time was. It was barely over an hour from the first plane hitting to both towers collapsing, which still, you know, I'm not into the 9-11 conspiracy theories. It would honestly make no difference to me at this point. It would make zero difference to me if I found out that it was a controlled demolition, you know, perpetrated by the U.S. government. It wouldn't surprise me one way or another. I don't even know that I would care. I don't know that I would care. I've already like, that's the thing is like, I never dug into 9-11 conspiracy theories. Like I've read about them. I've always been cool with it one way or another. I am totally cool with 9-11 one way or the other. If our government was involved, doesn't surprise me, not a big deal. I've already explored that possibility in my head. I think our government has done reprehensible things throughout its history, and it continues to do them. So it would not shock me at all if there was something going on behind the scenes. It also wouldn't shock me if, there's, if, if the story is exactly the way they presented it. And I'm not invested in either one. But it still is kind of crazy to me how quickly those towers collapsed. Like, I don't know a lot about fire, arson, building structure... 
but watching the footage, like, which it's, it was really kind of meditative, like in the middle of the night, like it was early morning hours last night, just watching this old footage. And it, it was really fascinating to watch that smoke billowing out. Because I was able to detach myself from the fact that I was looking at two giant buildings and I just saw this, these abstract tall objects just emitting thick black smoke. Like the, the size of the smoke, like I can't even fathom how wide and thick that black smoke was. And just watching it billow out, it was artistic to see. But I still can't wrap my brain around like how these planes crashed near the tops of the towers, the upper half of the towers. Like I think the first one hit really high up and then the second one hit more toward the middle of the other tower. But I still can't completely fathom how like jet fuel and all that I get. But I still don't understand how something that crashes into the top, especially a building that size... And it's obviously built that well. I assume they were built well. It was a big deal to build the World Trade Center towers. I assume they were built with uh, decent material, decent engineering. But I still don't understand how like, they could crash into the top of the tower and an hour later the entire tower collapses. Like the idea, I guess, is that it like it, it damaged and melted the infrastructure, like the core. But was fire going all the way down to the bottom? Because even if the, even if the structure was compromised near the top and it weakened the whole thing, it just doesn't make sense to me that it could collapse that way. And watching the footage of the collapse, which I hadn't seen in a long time, it really does look controlled. And that's what they all thought at the time too. Here I am just going into the 9-11 conspiracy. But no, it's not even about the conspiracy. Like, even if you totally buy the story, it's still kind of, it's, it's difficult for me to wrap my brain around the way they collapsed. Maybe they were designed to collapse that way, you know, just so that they wouldn't, like, tip over. Or, like, you know, maybe that was all on purpose in case of an emergency or something. But something they, they kept talking about, like Howard Stern kept saying, and I never even thought about this at the time, was like, even when the first plane hit and smoke was billowing out, they were like, how do you fight that fire? Like, you can't bring a hose up there. And they were like theorizing that, oh, you could do it in the same way they fight forest fires, where a plane picks up water in a, you know, a tarp or whatever that is, and they drop it on it. But that, that was something I had never really considered, where I was like, oh yeah, let's say that the towers didn't collapse and they were just burning. How do you fight that fire? I guess you would have to do it that way, but it'd be insane. That would have been, we were really deprived of an impressive visual. I mean, it was an impressive visual as it is, but we were deprived of a, an impressive visual in that we didn't get to see planes flying over the New York skyline with, with big things of water dropping them on the towers. Maybe that, that'll be my fan fiction. I'm going to write a fan fiction where the towers don't collapse and the whole fan fiction is just plane after plane scooping up water and dropping it on the towers but what i wanted to get into and how this ties into what i was talking about earlier is the reaction that howard stern and his staff had that his callers had when they realized it was a terror attack they immediately suspected muslims and not just muslims they were saying osama bin laden and i remember thinking that too 
I remember seeing like a, a TV special, like a CNN, like a 60 Minutes, who knows what the fuck it was, but I remember seeing a TV special not that long before 9-11 about Osama bin Laden. It was just about who he was and some of the threats he had made and that kind of thing. You know, he was already becoming pretty well known. I mean, he was well known, but it was like he was already kind of, people were starting to get an idea that he was out there and he was a threat to us. And I, I do remember immediately thinking, oh, it was that guy, I bet. And sure enough, that's what Howard Stern and those guys thought. They were like, I bet it's, well, Howard Stern kept saying, we know where this came from. I'm not going to say the countries. And then some of the other people were like, Muslims, it's the Palestinians, it's the Muslims. And they were like, we've been too soft. That's what Howard Stern kept saying. We've been too soft on these people. But how quickly it went from like, oh, this was a terror attack. We're realizing this was a terror attack to like Howard Stern and his staff and his callers. And Howard Stern's liberal. We've seen now where like he got Trump derangement. He's, he's an idiot now. I don't think he's an actual moron. I don't think he's an actual idiot. But Howard Stern's completely lost everything. You know, he's just saying the dumbest shit going along with the program. But at this time, like, if, if you were to put this same conversation on the air today, if this happened today and you were to hear the things that Howard Stern and his staff were saying, including Robin, the capital B black woman, if you were to hear the stuff they were saying, you would think that they were the most bigoted hateful, fringe, right-wing pundits out there. Because immediately they were like, we need to drop an atomic bomb on the country these, that's harboring these people. There was one point where I think it was Howard, or I think I'm pretty sure it was Howard, was like, it doesn't even matter if we kill women and children. They're all complicit. It doesn't even matter if we kill women and children in the country where these people came from. They're complicit. They hate us because we're better than them, which a girl in my class said that day. There was a girl in one of my classes who was like, they just did this because we're better. And uh, Howard Stern was saying that over and over again. They did this to us because we're better than them. They hate that we have a, a better quality of life and they want to destroy us for it. But... The desire for revenge was so immediate and he was having some of the guys who call in some of the guys who are kind of like friends of the show They were calling in and a couple of them were like we just need to kill these towelhead bastards We've been too soft of these towelhead. They kept saying towelhead And so you see where like some of that immediate reaction where you know a bunch of innocent Muslims You know had a rough time after 9-11. We know that People targeted Muslims and blamed them for this just for being from the same part of the world. And we know that's a bad thing. But you could see it like you could see it take hold where there was this immediate desire for revenge and not just revenge, but revenge against anybody who you can even remotely associate with these hijackers. And it was before the facts came out about which countries these hijackers came from. Nobody mentioned Al-Qaeda Nobody mentioned any of these terms that became commonplace just days later. But it was, it was interesting to see like the vitriol and there was no hesitation to use slurs. Like there was a point where like one of the callers was like, we need to just immediately wreck these people here. 
Like we need to, like there was a caller who was like, we need to immediately start like attacking the Muslims in this country because they're complicit in this. And Howard was like, wait, hold on a second there. He got sober for a second. But I mean, he said something about bombing these countries and it not mattering if women and children were collateral damage because they're complicit. So this very primitive thinking kicked in right away. And if you weren't around then or you weren't of age, you wouldn't remember it, but I do, where it was this friend-enemy distinction that was drawn very distinctly, very similar to the way we're thinking about our own countrymen today. You know, a very similar attitude to the way people view anyone they think is right-leaning or left-leaning, anyone they think is a Trumpsfeld supporter. Very similar form of like friend-enemy distinction and wanting to inflict pain on those people. How quickly it kicked in. Watching this footage, I was like, oh, holy shit. It took no time at all. When they realized that this was a terror attack, it took no time at all to say, I bet I know who did this. And not only do I know who did this, we need to do something about it right away and not care about who we hurt, even if they're not involved. They were saying that, like, even if the people we hurt aren't involved, we need to make a statement right now. And Bush gave a little speech. Right after it happened, Bush gave a little speech where he said, it looks like these are terror attacks. We're investigating this. But Howard Stern and his staff were like, he's a pussy. He's not going to do anything. They never do anything. The reason this happened is because our government never does anything about these people. They need to wipe them out. I recommend watching it. You know, you can skip to the relevant parts, but I recommend watching Howard Stern on 9-11. It's very eye-opening. Even though I was there and I experienced all those waves of emotions that people were going through, that immediate psychological transformation that took place where Howard Stern, think about this, Howard Stern in the, in the blink of an eye the morning of 9-11 went from joking around about making out with Pamela Anderson to talking about how we need to kill women and children in the Middle East to send a statement to these people. Like, think about how quickly that psychological transformation takes place when you're angry or you feel threatened. And for valid reasons. You feel threatened because you're being attacked, but still, how quickly that psychological transformation takes place. Crazy to, to watch that now. But they were calling George Bush a pussy. They were like, he's not going to do anything. And not only is he not going to do anything, he should do something right now. Like Howard Stern was saying, we don't even need to find out who the exact people are who are responsible. We need to just send an atomic bomb to one of these Middle Eastern countries where these people live and make a statement right now, regardless of whether they were involved with this. He, was, he said that. I'm not exaggerating. He thought George W. Bush should have launched missiles within minutes of 9-11 happening. And it's funny to look back on that now because I'd be curious what... Howard Stern's stance is on the war on Afghanistan or the war in Iraq. Because those were obviously misguided, at least, at the very least, those were misguided decisions. But the American public was pushing for that. That's what people forget, is that the American public, specifically people in New York like Howard Stern, 
They were saying it's war and we need to go full force into the Middle East and it doesn't matter if it's the right cause or not. It doesn't matter if it's the right people. We need to make a show of force right now. And now we look back and people are like, oh, George W. Bush was way too quick to react. Meanwhile, people were calling him a pussy because they thought he wasn't reacting fast enough, even though the, 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 the second plane hit the tower five minutes earlier. Pretty wild. And it's a, it's a great example of why not to react to whatever you're feeling right now. Like if an emotion suddenly overtakes you, you have to develop such a strict discipline inside of yourself to not give in to what is what you're thinking at that time. When an emotion overtakes you, you have to have incredible discipline to not do what that emotion is telling you. Because that emotion will tell you, drop bombs on innocent people. Because they remind me of who I think did this thing that just happened. So, but, you know, just to get back to my, kind of where I'm going with this, if anywhere, you know, just to think about how times change, how quickly things change, where Howard Stern at the time was considered a liberal guy. You know, I think he's, he's always been kind of seen as an independent, and back then he was seen as an independent. I wouldn't say he was a leftist or anything, but, you know, liberalism was sort of the you know, liberalism celebrated free speech. And while Howard Stern was often called a sexist and, you know, said some things that pissed people off, he would have been considered a fairly liberal guy. He is a liberal guy in the best sense. And now the worst based on how he's kind of changed. But if you were simply to listen to them talking in today's context, you would be like, oh, this is some sort of far right show where they hate Muslims, they love war, they're extremely bigoted. But no, it was, it was just Howard Stern. And it was acceptable to talk that way. The way they were talking, it wouldn't just be cancel culture, like, oh, you said something stupid, so we're going to try to ruin your life. It would be far more severe than that if somebody, if a public figure talked the way they were talking in this episode. That bloodlust was there. They were filled with bloodlust. And Robin, you know, Robin, who's sort of Howard Stern's talking parrot, she was filled with it. She was saying outrageous things about hurting people and it not mattering who. Like they were saying, we don't even need to investigate. We just need to immediately launch rockets and bombs in the general direction where we think these people come from. But it just shows you, I mean, things change. I mean, that was over 20 years ago. A lot has changed since then. But thinking about something like this crossword puzzle, I can't, I'm just obsessed. I'm obsessed with this crossword puzzle. But something like this crossword puzzle where like two years ago, you wouldn't do the dictionary.com crossword puzzle and almost every day see hints and references to what would would have five years ago been radical fringe leftist ideas 
Like you wouldn't see that in just an online crossword puzzle, but it's become so integrated in everything. Things have changed so quickly. I mean, we really are living in an upside down world. And while I would never want something like 9-11 to happen again, disclaimer, just in case you're wondering, I would never want something like 9-11 to happen again. But if something like 9-11 did happen again, it'd be very interesting to see the psychological transformation that would take place then. Because, you know, these, these other tragedies happen but they're they're so uh like i was talking about the the fourth of july shooter and just like any tragedy that happens now but how people immediately politicize it and they want the shooter to be their enemy they want to find some way to blame the shooting on their enemy but in this case the enemies within your own country and uh, so it's it's like internal factionalism conservatives want the shooter to be a liberal liberals want the shooter to be a conservative and they'll argue they'll find everything they can to make that argument it's very silly but something from the outside would be very interesting to watch today i have an idea of how it would play out but let's say there was a terrorist attack and muslims crashed planes into you know, a, a, a major location and killed thousands of people. Actually, I want to see what the death toll is. And you could, you could tell in the moment that like Howard Stern's staff didn't comprehend the number of people who had even died right away. Like they were kind of cracking jokes about the first plane that hit. Like, even though when you look at it, like the size, the size of the hole where it hit, you could tell right away that a thousand people died just from that alone. Like, you could imagine that hundreds of people died in that instant, before the fires, before anything else. Just that first plane hitting the first tower, hundreds of people must have died in that instant. But you could tell, that, like, they were like, oh, there must be people, there must be some people hurt in there. It's like, do you think? But they couldn't comprehend it. It was beyond their comprehension. It was watching human beings lose their grip on reality in real time. Because you can't comprehend that. Like, and you could see where their minds went from like, oh, a plane hit. There must be some people dead. To like, no, you know what? There's a lot of dead people in there. And then when the tower collapsed, when the first tower collapsed, they were like, you know, I wonder if everyone got out. <laughs> you know, they were, they were kind of making comments like that. Like, they couldn't comprehend the mass death that happens so quickly because that is beyond our comprehension i'm going to look up the death toll using my lifeline to look up the death toll 2977 i'm surprised it's that few and i think that probably includes the pentagon yeah that includes everything obviously most of those were in the twin towers but 2977 so 3,000 people but yeah, it's, it's almost shocking that it's so few. I'm actually looking at that now. and Because when I was watching those buildings fall, I mean, you could have told me that 50,000 people died in the towers and when the towers collapsed just in the immediate vicinity. That's what I would have thought. It's actually amazing the death toll wasn't as high as it could have been. 
But it was interesting to watch Howard Stern and his staff just, you could tell they couldn't quite process the amount of death that they were seeing. They just couldn't process that. Because we can't. You know, it's, it's difficult for us to imagine that. That that many people were just in that building and in the blink of an eye, they were killed. But, because uh, it was surreal. You're suddenly seeing the Twin Towers as these weird paintbrushes being dragged down through the sky, leaving behind black streaks. That's what it kept looking like to me. I'm trying to think of the best comparison. I kept thinking of art for some reason. When I was watching this last night, I kept thinking of art. Like I kept, I kept seeing the Twin Towers almost like two sticks of charcoal or two like graphite or something leaving behind these smears. Like the smoke was like these dark smears of graphite on paper. Very artsy. It's a very artsy interpretation. The Twin Towers are like two pieces of graphite being pulled down the page of a canvas emitting black graphite smoke down the page. It's an art installation. Those Muslims, they were artists. They, they just saw the entire sky as their canvas. It was an art installation. It was an art installation gone wrong. But it was a reminder, too, of how much the world has changed for all the, you know, everything. But it's, it's changed so quickly. Because I feel like if I had watched that same video 10 years ago, I would have some of the same reactions or I'd be like, oh, wow. Some of the stuff Howard Stern and his staff were saying was brutal and bigoted. Like, they probably wouldn't want to say that now. They were reacting out of fear and anger. They were dealing with a new reality they couldn't comprehend. But I think I would have, I, I would have felt differently about it. But it's seeing the way the world is now that makes this so strange. And also knowing that people like Howard Stern would and do condemn people who are way more tame than the things he was saying during this footage like seeing how he's changed and not that people can't change you know because it's a thing howard stern would probably look back on that and be like oh wow yeah i was really bigoted i was upset and i was bigoted i didn't mean that people are allowed to change i don't like it when people like are like oh you said this back then you look at you i wish more people did that like with the current left I wish more people on the left were like, oh yeah, I was different before. And now I believe in this. What's crazy about the left today is they forget what they even believed yesterday. And they want to poke your eyes out with a needle for believing that yourself. Oh, you believed the thing that I believed yesterday. We should kill you. That's kind of the mindset. You are the worst person alive for thinking what I thought yesterday. They either don't remember or they don't allow themselves to remember what they thought a second ago. I remember every shitty opinion and thought I've ever had, and it's the main thing that haunts me in life. 
and I don't I don't like to live a life. I don't believe as part of my spiritual beliefs to invoke those. As part of my spiritual beliefs, I don't believe in like continually saying to myself, "You've changed. You've changed for the better." Sometimes I have moments where I recognize it. Like there are moments in my life where I go, "Oh, I wouldn't have reacted that way 10 years ago." I wouldn't have reacted that way when I was younger, and I'm glad that I am the way I am now. It's good to acknowledge ways that you've changed, or it's good to be reminded of that on, on occasion. But it's, of course, like one of the classic traps, especially in any kind of self-development, any kind of spiritual system. It's one of the classic traps to like continually think, oh, I'm different now. I'm not going to do that thing I used to do. Because that's the second that you start doing that. Even if you do it in a different way that you don't recognize... The second you start telling yourself you're different or you've changed or you're better is the second you revert or act that same impulse out in a different way and trick yourself into not seeing it. But that said, I wouldn't mind what's going on in our society now quite as much if people were honest. Honesty seems to be my biggest problem with all this. It's that people have adopted these, what were, what were radical beliefs just a couple years ago, and they act like they've always seen it that way. And I mean, I of course hate all the bullshit too, where people give these fake apologies, where they're like, oh, when I, when I did that, I didn't know what it meant then, and I've learned now, I'm educated now. So th there's no real win-win, th there's no real winning with this whole thing. Like on one hand, acknowledging that you were different then and you've changed for the better. On one hand, that would be better than pretending like you didn't change and you've always believed what you currently believe. But there's also something disgusting about being like, well, I, I've changed since then and I was wrong then, but I've learned. You know, it's just, it's all dishonest. But I think I would mind it less if people acknowledged how they've changed. And if they acknowledge that they've taken on new sets of beliefs and seeing the world that they didn't have yesterday. And they're now demonizing other people for thinking that way. Because if you're not clued in, like going back to the capitalizing B for black thing. Like if you just didn't get the memo for that. You know, people are, you, you could be seen as suspect. Like you didn't get the memo to capitalize B for black, but not W for white. Didn't get the memo that you're supposed to do that. And then somebody explains it to you and you're like, that doesn't even make sense. Which you should always be allowed to say. You should always be allowed to say that doesn't make sense. But it's not about sense. It's about control. It's about coercion. It's about inflicting pain, mental torment. I have to believe they want you confused. I have to believe that they want you to be confused. But, uh, it's, uh, it's all very manipulative, obviously. And again, you have to think about that person who hasn't been in the loop. Like, imagine you're just some blue-collar parent today. 
you don't have to be blue collar, but just as an example, like you don't look at the internet much. You work all day, you have kids, you're busy a lot of the time. You're just focused on what's going on in your life and you take your kid to school and the teacher goes by MX. You're going to think that's a typo or something. And that's what a lot of this stuff looks like. It's like forcing typos on us. But you're going to see that and you're going to be like, well, what the heck is MX? And your kid's going to be like, oh, it's mix. My teacher goes by they, them, and, and we call her mix. And that kid's been taught that. But you as a parent are going to be like, when did this happen? And I think that's what a lot of parents are going through. They're like, when did this happen? Because three years ago, you were not going to see that. Three years ago, you weren't going to take your kid to kindergarten and the teacher is some narcissist with pink hair who says, oh yeah, it's mix. And I go by they, them. You're just not, you wouldn't have seen that three years ago. It would have been immensely confusing. And it still is. But you're being told it's normal. You're, you're being told that that's just how things are now. But I... Uh, I mean, I find it interesting, despite the frustration, despite not liking it, I do find it genuinely, genuinely interesting on an anthropological level, on a sociological level. I can detach myself and just be an observer and say, this is really interesting watching this play out. It's also interesting to see how much people are willing to take. And part of that's because it's gradual. Like as abrupt as some of this has been, as sudden as some of these changes have been, the our society becoming unglued has been a more gradual process. It's been accepting that this is happening. And we argue and fight about that. But then we come to kind of accept it. Then this is happening now. But then we've reached a point where there's so much happening at once. Like, I'm honestly surprised that there isn't more fighting in the streets. I'm surprised that things aren't more violent. There's a lot of violence, and it, it, I think it'll get more violent, unfortunately. But I'm surprised that people aren't just in the streets going, no more. We can't accept this. And things will, you know, the hinges will continue to fall off, and we'll see what happens. I don't want violence at all. That's, a, that's actually the last thing I want. And that's actually why this bothers me. Because all of this seems to be leading us to violence. I was talking about the bloodlust that's in people. The friend-enemy distinction. Where there's, no, there's nothing else other than friends and enemies. And friends can become enemies really quickly if they don't use mix. Or they don't capitalize B in black. That person, you start looking at them and be like, hmm, are they an enemy? Because that's how a lot of people are thinking. They're going through life. They're looking at these little signals. And some of them are just the fact that people are oblivious to this nonsense and bullshit. There's a lot of people who just don't even understand it, don't even know where it came from, don't know what the fuck it even is. But because they're confused and they don't know what to do about that and they don't like it, someone in their life is going to look at them and say, hmm, Hmm, I'm starting to feel like this person might be an enemy. We're not sure about you. We're not sure about you. We're not sure about you. you know, that's kind of where people's minds are going. The smallest little signal or lack of signal. People are Santa Claus checking their list twice, and they don't care about who's been nice. They care about who's been naughty. That's what they care about. 
They could have, here's the thing, it's almost like an inverse of the Bible. Where, you know, the shepherd, the shepherd goes off into the mountains. 99 of his sheep are together. They're where they're supposed to be in the field. That one sheep has wandered off into the mountains. So the shepherd goes after it. Even one sheep is important to that shepherd, bringing that sheep back into the flock. What's going on here is almost similar, but it's, it's twisted. Because the modern left could have everybody on board except for one guy in a cabin by himself in the mountains. But that's not enough. They would still go after that guy. Not to bring him back into the flock, but because he's an enemy. And they need that. They need enemies. Everything falls apart without that. All of this shit that's been going on completely falls apart if they no longer have enemies. Because the motivation is to inflict confusion and pain and to control people. And just knowing that there's some guy out there in the mountains in a cabin who's not going along with their program, that keeps the bloodlust alive. And that's what they're living for. And it seems like it's paving a very narrow road to violence. And we've already seen violence. Summer 2020 was more violence than I've ever seen over a sustained period of time in this country. But it's political to mention that. It's political to mention that summer 2020 was the most sustained period of mass violence that I've ever seen. Not counting warfare. Obviously, our country sends its military to do that, uh, to do terrible things around the world. But, you know, in terms of like the, the civilians in our society, that is more sustained violence than I've ever seen. You're not supposed to comment on that. You're told it's not violent. Mostly peaceful, as CNN said. Mostly peaceful protests while a reporter stands in front of just fire. That's beautiful. That's art. I can remove myself from how I feel about all that and just look at that and go, that's art. That is artistic. That level of cognitive dissonance. But So we've seen violence. And summer 2020, it was a byproduct of all this. All of that violence was a byproduct of this. But I worry about the breaking point. I would have thought it already would have come. This is why I'm not Nostradamus, Nostradami, as I call him. Because I would have predicted that it already would have come to a head on a scale far larger than anything we've seen so far. I would have thought we'd already be in a state of civil war, and I do think we are. We're in a state of psychic civil war. We're in a state of technological civil war. We're doing all of the things that surround civil war. It's just the actual physical civil war isn't taking place yet. And hopefully it won't. I don't want civil war. I don't want civil war. Do you want... It's like Boyd Rice. Do you want total war? Do you want civil war? I don't, but it seems like everything is leading there. 
It's like this old nature video I saw where it's a frog just standing there very stoically. There's a frog just, just sitting there. And this larva, this worm, crawls up to the frog. And it, it, it kind of, you know, larva stands up sometimes, which freaks me the fuck out. Larva already bothers me. But larva, you know, it, it can make itself stand up. But this larva is like standing up in front of the frog's mouth. And then it starts rubbing the frog's mouth, trying to get inside the frog's mouth. And the frog is just standing there with its mouth closed. The worm is like trying to get eaten. The worm's just like, eat me, hurry up and eat me. This larva standing up. And after a while, suddenly in just one quick moment, the frog just opens its mouth and eats the larva. But it's like that larva had a death wish. It was committing suicide. We know frogs will eat larva, but this larva crawled up to this stoic frog, the stoic frog, and it was begging to be eaten. And that's what I see. I think about that a lot. I see people do it on a personal level. Like people who have a tornado of personal problems that they've created themselves. I always think about that frog and that larva. The story, the parable of the frog and the larva. Because I'm like, oh, you're doing everything you can to get eaten by that frog. And when it eats you, it'll be a tragedy. But it's like you are doing all the work to make that tragedy happen. And maybe it's not a tragedy. In the case of the frog and the larva, it's not a tragedy. But it's a death wish. That larva had a death wish. And we know people like that. There's people that we know in our personal lives. We've all had friends and family members. And you see their behavior. And you go, you are that larva. And you are begging for the frog to eat you. You are doing everything you can to get eaten by that frog. And what's going to happen is that freaking frog is going to eat you. That's what I feel like is playing out on a macro level. When I look at the state of our culture, when I look at the state of the United States, the state of the United States, when I look at it, though, I'm like, we are that larva right now. We are begging to be eaten. And when it comes, it will be in the blink of an eye just like that. It will be that frog. That frog eats it so quickly. I should narrate nature videos, but it's better just to talk about them later, like I'm doing now. But no, it's, it's wild to watch because it's like you can see that that frog is trying to do everything it can to not eat that larva. It's probably not even hungry. It probably just ate. It's like when you've pigged out, when you've eaten a full meal at somebody's house and cake, you've had dessert. And the host comes over and they're like, we also got ice cream. You want some ice cream? You want it? And you're like, I'm full. I'm full. I don't need the ice cream. And they stick it in your face. That's kind of what it's like. This is probably a full frog. This frog's like, I just ate. But this larva's like, eat me. But what blew my mind about it is just how quickly. There's nothing dramatic. Because everything up to that point is kind of dramatic. Where this larva is like standing up. It's trying to force itself into this frog's mouth. And the frog is refusing. But once the frog decides to just eat this dang thing, it's like a split second. You know, I have frogs that live on my back deck. It's amazing to watch them eat because just that tongue goes out so quickly. 
that mouth opens and that tongue goes out so quickly. That's what it's like with this frog and the larva. The parable of the frog and the larva is just in the blink of an eye, the frog's mouth and tongue just shoot out and grab the larva and that's it. All of this buildup, all of this, this death wish, it's dramatic. The larva is just there trying to get in. It's, it seems to go on forever. And then just in the blink of an eye, frog eats it. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free 